Thank you, Howard. I am uh, excited about teaching this morning. Y'all come on in. If you need a handout, um, we've got them. Just raise your hand and, and we'll give you the, the lesson today. We've got a need down here for some. Um, raise your hand, be bold. I will tell you this, we're going to spend an entire week today on one chapter, one letter, Philemon. And it's a lot of fun for me. I will also tell you, Howard, uh, who's just, where did the polka dot man go? Oh, there you are in the back. Um, Howard uh, uh, is too bashful to tell you this, but he does turn 51 this week on September 1st. And so we want to say happy birthday to our Howard. It's, it's an appropriate week, and because Howard's also not only leadership here in our class, but a good friend of mine personally, I've imposed upon him to allow me to use periodically photos of him this morning in the PowerPoint to illustrate our lesson. Because when we look at the book of Philemon, we find that a lot can happen over a lifetime. There, little boys are born, they wear funny little hats, they get a little bit older and wear funny little hats. Eventually, they get married to women who wear hats. And finally, if everything comes together just right, they have children who continue the tradition with funny little hats. <laughs> so a lot can happen over a lifetime. Today, we're going to study the life of Philemon, since this is the letter to Philemon. No. Yeah, a little bit, but not really. Today, more, we're going to study the life of Onesimus. Onesimus is, is uh, the subplot behind the book of Philemon. So with that, uh, uh, if you've got your lessons, you've got your Bible, um, uh, you might want to open your Bible, make some notes in it. That's always a friendly thing to do. But uh, fasten your seatbelts uh, uh, because we are going to take off on uh, the life of Onesimus as told by the book of Philippians. And we're going to add a little bit of church history to it to, to make sure... Uh, all you Bible scholars walk out of here with a little bit of something that maybe you didn't have when you walked in with. So, we've been studying the prison epistles of Paul. And the prison epistles are epistles that Paul would have written while he was incarcerated, but the kind of incarceration he had in Rome was a house arrest. While he was wearing chains and while he was guarded by one of uh, Caesar's guards waiting for his appeal to Caesar to be heard, he was uh, uh, given a relative bit of freedom, freedom. And by that, people could come and go. They could visit him. They could minister to him. He could minister to them. And during this time of chains in Rome, Paul wrote what we call prison epistles, most likely four of them at this time. He wrote the book of Ephesians, which we've already studied, the book of Philippians, which we've already studied. Both of them, remember, Ephesians to the church at Ephesus, Philippians to the church at Philippi, Colossians to the church at Colossae, and then the fourth one, Philemon to the church at Philemi, no, Philemon is a fella, though he is a fellow who had a church meet in his house. And uh, 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 Philemon, as a book, has a lot in common with the epistle we studied last week, Colossians. What do they have in common? 
Well, Philemon probably lived in Colossae. At least he lived in the same general area as Colossae, which is the Colossian Laodicean area. It's called the Lycian Valley. So they're from the same area. Uh, uh, the books are written to people in the same area. Not just the same area, though. We've got the same people. You're going to find some of the same people mentioned in Philemon that you find mentioned in Paul's letter to, Coloss to the Colossian church. Paul wrote them at about the same time because it looks like the same carrier or the same person delivered both letters. The letter to the church at Colossae was delivered by Onesimus. The letter to Philemon was delivered by Onesimus. So we've got Paul writing these at the same time. We've got the same people. We've got the same general area. If we realize Paul's writing over here in Rome, where I've put that circle, you come over to modern-day Turkey, this area called Lycia, the Lycian Valley, is where these, these uh, towns were that we're looking at. And I say towns because you remember the letter to Colossians, to the Colossi church. That letter was also to be shared with the church at Laodicea, right? Testing your memory here. Pardon me. Laodicea is, well, it's the same general area. This is standing on the ruins of Colossae, looking out across the Lycian Valley. Laodicea was 10 miles away. So it was easily walking distance. Let me, let me take that back. It was walking distance in a day. May not have been all that easy, but you could certainly get from one town to the other in a day. Um, so let's look at these for a moment and let's consider not only was this the same area, you've got the 10 mile distance, but you've also got the letters going to some of the same people. Let's look at that briefly. Colossians and Philemon's. Both of them greet Archippus. Or I like to call him Archippus because I'd nickname him Chip today. And Chips just sounds like a really nice guy. So this was our Chippus for us, even though he probably wouldn't turn around and look at us if we yelled it and he were here listening. Um, he would want it to be our Chippus, but uh, our Chippus for us. Our Chippus is greeted in both the Colossian letter and in the letter to uh, Philemon. Interestingly, Archippus probably was the pastor or the person over the church in Laodicea, which was the 10-mile town from Colossians. In addition to Archippus, both of these letters are carried by Onesimus, who is the key figure in our class today. In addition to being carried by Onesimus, each of these, uh, 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 or Onesimus himself is uh, uh, recognized in each of these as being a Colossian. He belongs as a slave to Philemon, but in the letter to Colossae in chapter 4, where Paul talks about Onesimus bringing the letter, Paul says, Onesimus, quote, who is one of you? So Onesimus is probably from Colossae as well. Um, that's what we have. Now, question, what kind of letter is Philemon? It's one chapter. It's real short. What makes it uh, uh, unique as a letter? Well, let me suggest something to you. It's a very personal and a very private letter, unlike anything else Paul wrote that we have. Now, he probably wrote other stuff like that, but if you go through the letters Paul wrote, what do we have? We have um, Romans. Okay, that's written to the church at Rome. He had never been there, but he's writing to address problems that he understands are happening in the church. Okay, then you got the Corinthian church. They got more problems than we can stand up here and list. But Paul writes a letter to address those churches' problems. Galatians, they had the problem with legalism creeping in. So Paul wrote to them over that. Ephesians, 
We read their problems and, and read what Paul had to say about them. They were like the Colossians in a lot of ways. They were having some serious doctrinal issues about who Jesus was and, and, and what the calling was. So we've got Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, a book of joy, but also kind of a mission report, if you will. That's one where Paul, in essence, says, uh, 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 here's the report as a missionary. You go through all of the letters, Thessalonian letters, where Paul's helping them with their doctrine on the second coming. All of these are letters written to churches. Even First and Second Timothy and Titus that we haven't looked at yet are letters written to address issues of church doctrine, church organization, church structure. Okay? Philemon's unique because it's written to a person about a personal problem. It's not a church issue. Not a church issue at all. It's very personal and it's a very private letter, which has stunned some theologians through the centuries because they think, what's it doing in the Bible? It's not really a church letter. We're not going to find big church doctrine in here. We're not going to find big doctrine about Jesus. We're going to find a very personal and intimate story about some really neat people that I personally love. Now, the key to this is not Philemon. The key to it is Onesimus. Let me tell you about Onesimus. Onesimus was no Boy Scout, okay? Howard, he was a Boy Scout. <laughs> but Onesimus, he was not a Boy Scout, okay? Onesimus, what he was, was a slave. He was a slave under the Roman slavery system. And under the Roman slavery system, a slave was considered living chattel. Chattel is a lawyer's word which means automatically it makes no sense to 90% of the world. I'm convinced historically lawyers made up these words so when y'all come to see lawyers, they can charge you more because you think that they must be really bright because they're using words no one knows. Okay? But the reality is those words, they don't know what they mean either. Okay? We learn all these things in law school and promptly forget them. Chattel, that just means an instrument or a belonging. It's basically like a hammer or a shovel. Okay? So slaves in the Roman sense are not considered people. They're considered an instrument, a tool. You have slaves in the same sense that you have um, a shovel or a bulldozer or something that is an implement to help you with your life. That's different than Jewish law. If you're thinking slaves in a Jewish sense, don't think that way. Jewish law treated slaves very differently than Roman law. Under the Old Testament, you'll recall God said to the Jews, you better treat slavery differently and you better treat slaves nice, remembering you used to be a slave yourself in Egypt. So if you own a foreign slave, he's part of your house in the Hebrew law. Under Hebrew law, if you owned a slave and the slave himself was Jewish, every seven years that slave is released under the year of Jubilee. Under Jewish law, slaves had religious rights. They could still sacrifice, they could all of that. Under Jewish law, slaves had social rights. They could marry. All of that's Jewish law, but Jewish law doesn't pertain to this part of Asia Minor. We're stuck in the middle of the Roman world, and in the Roman world, slavery was totally different. In the Roman world, slaves could not marry. In the Roman world, slaves had no rights. 
In the Roman world, the master of the slave owned the slave the same as he owns a shovel. And if I want to go home to my house and go out to my shed and get one of my shovels and snap the handle in two, there's not anything any of y'all can do about it. I'm entitled to do that, right? If I want to take one of my hammers and I want to go home and I just want to beat the crud out of something and mess up the hammer, you can't come to me and say, uh, I'm telling Hickman on you, we're going to get you arrested for defacing your hammer. You can't. It's my hammer. I can do whatever I want to with it. The mentality was that slaves were the exact same in the Roman world. And you had the right, if you wanted to beat your slave, you could beat your slave. If you wanted to kill your slave, you could kill your slave. You could do anything you wanted to to your slave. Or slaves. There were lots of them. Okay? Now, the Roman law was significant. What I've done is, I, I want to go back to Rome for a minute. And we don't have a good picture of ancient Rome, so I stole this one. This is Pompeii. Okay? Sorry. I know some of you are sitting there thinking... I don't remember the forum looking just like that in Rome. Um, it doesn't. That's Pompeii. But it looks really good for a backdrop for what I'm about to do. In 61 AD, there was a, which, which is the time Paul's writing this letter? Paul's in captivity in Rome between 60 and 62. Okay? In 61 AD, something very significant happened in Rome. We read about it from a historian who was writing about 50 years later. His name was Tacitus. We've still got Tacitus's writings. And he wrote a, a, a set of book on the annals or the history of Rome. And in, I guess it's chapter 14 of his book. I've got the reference in the, the notes, I believe. If not, uh, come ask me and I'll find them for you. But it's really interesting. There was a Roman uprising, if you will, of one slave. One slave. Here's what he says. Soon afterwards, one of his own slaves murdered the city prefect, Pedanius Secundus. That's, <laughs> that's like footman the second. Um, <laughs> Pedanius Secundus. Ancient custom required that the whole slave establishment which had dwelt under the same roof should be dragged to execution. Now it says ancient custom. That law had been put on the books in Rome 10 AD. So it was, what, 50 years old at the time. But when Tacitus is writing, it's almost 100 years old. Here's what happened. The city prefect, Pedanius Secundus, and there were disputes over why the slave had killed him. One school of thought was... Uh, uh, footman the second had offered or promised some freedom for the slavery and then reneged on his offer. A second thought was they both had the same love interest and uh, 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 the slave just killed the owner over the love interest. Um, we don't know what it was, but we do know this. The law said if one slave kills the owner, every slave under the same roof has to be dragged to execution and killed. And Footman II had about 400 slaves. And they ranged from old people to babies. Men and women. And the big debate at the time, Paul's writing this letter to Philemon. The big debate in Rome that makes it all the way to the Senate. That's like for us, 
making it all the way to the halls of Washington and on the desk of the president. The big debate was, are we going to follow through this law? Because if we do, there may be a huge uprising when the people see on the streets us dragging infants and children and women that had really nothing to do with it at all, dragging them to execute them. And this impassioned speech is given by this Roman senator who says, we've got no choice. This is the way we keep civility in the land. And the decision is made, you're right, we'll double up the guards on the street to make sure nobody gets in the way, and they execute all 400. In that vein, Paul writes, and at that time, Paul writes this letter. Now let me give you a little background behind the letter as we look at it. And since we've got one chapter, we're going to look at this a little different than we, we've looked at other things. We're going word by word, okay? Now, here's your background. Make sure we're all on the same page. <clears throat> Over in Colossae, Philemon, who Paul is writing to, has a slave named Onesimus. The slave named Onesimus runs away. Somehow, not surprising that he would find himself in Rome. If you're a runaway slave, that's the safest place to go. It's the biggest city. It's over a million people. You can get lost somewhere and you don't worry about being found. Because you get found as a runaway slave, you get killed. Okay? Onesimus runs away, but somehow in the midst of this city of a million plus people, God's hand works and Onesimus and Paul find each other. And Paul leads Onesimus to Christ. And then Paul says, after some period of discipleship, Onesimus, you got to go back to Philemon, your owner. Is he going to kill you? I don't think so. And Paul says, when you go, I want you to take this letter to the Colossian church that I've just written, and I want you to take this letter to Philemon from me. And that's the letter Philemon that Paul has written. He's sending it with Onesimus back to Onesimus' his owner. And Paul does not take the approach of Roman law in the Roman Senate. Paul does not say, hey, um, not only him, but let's start killing a bunch of people. Watch what Paul does in the letter. It's an absolutely beautiful letter. As we go through it, as we go through it, I also want you to pay attention to this. Paul is so incredibly delicate in the way he deals with this situation. If I were dealing with it, I'd have just said, hey, I'm sending him back, cut him some slack, and treat him right. He's now your brother in Christ. You got problems with it, call Louis Miori. He counsels for free. See you later. Okay? It's not what Paul does. He's a little bit more delicate. Okay? Look at Paul's delicacy. Here we go. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now compare that to Colossians. Hang on. I have a Bible here. Remember, he's writing Colossians at the same time. Paul doesn't describe himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus in the letter to the Colossians. In the letter to Colossians, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Right? And the letter's at the same time. To the church, he's writing the authoritarian letter as the apostle. To Philemon, he could have said the same thing. 
I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm telling you what to do. But he doesn't. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Okay, he's sending a slave back with a letter that says, I, Paul, am a prisoner. You, you already start to see his delicate way of dealing with this. I've got my English teacher on the second row nodding, yeah, she's, she's picking up that English stuff here. Um, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's in chains, and he wants Philemon, who's probably sitting back with a bunch of servants. He's probably got the letter from Onesimus at this point and is reading it while he's got Onesimus being hauled out to get flogged, if not worse. Okay? He's got the letter, and so I don't know if someone's dr dropping grapes in his mouth or not, but he's just very first thing he sees is Paul's a prisoner, oh yeah, of Christ Jesus. He doesn't quite, Paul doesn't quite have it as good as Philemon. And Timothy, our brother to Philemon, our dear, oh, dear friend. Okay, isn't that nice? Wouldn't you love the Apostle Paul? I got friends. All of you in here I regard as a friend. Some of you I know more than others because we've spent time together. And you're good friends. And then there are some that are dear friends. I used to make fun of my wife. I don't anymore. <laughs> but one of the ways I used to make fun of my wife was she, she only has um, very best friends or very dear friends. Okay, that's all. That's all she has. It's just a question of how many varies she puts before it. Oh, this is my very, 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 very good friend. This is just my very good friend, which may mean she just like met you yesterday, okay? <laughs> you immediately become a very good friend of my wife, all right? But I love the sensation of being called a dear friend. That warms my heart. If I'm Philemon and I'm reading this in the presence of some other people, and I've got Paul calling me his dear friend, I probably would have read that a little bit louder and a little bit slower, just lingering on each word. My dear friend, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Yes, I work with Paul. Me and Paul were like this. <laughs> he goes left, I go left. He goes right, I go right. We're fellow workers. And to Aphia, our sister, that's probably Philemon's wife. Okay? Remember, the slave belongs to the household in a sense. So Paul's writing to Philemon, his dear friend, to Aphia, his sister, our sister, Paul's sister, Philemon's wife, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier. Archippus is probably Philemon's son. That would be a standard understanding of this in the way letters were written. We know from Colossians, Archippus is also over 10 miles away at the church at Laodicea, pastoring that church most likely. But Archippus is the son. So this is a family that knows the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Archippus, the fellow soldier who's also in the pastorate like Paul was in a sense. And to the church that meets, whoops, meets in your home. See that? It's a church that met in the home of Philemon and Aphia and Archippus. That's another way we know that it's a household. Now, um, interesting point here. Uh, I think we all know at this point in time they didn't like build churches. Okay? Uh, churches did typically meet in homes or other places where they could conveniently. But when Paul writes his letters, one thing we lose when we read out of the New International Version is we lose track of the U's. If I ever get bold enough 
to publish my own New Testament that I'm going to translate, which will never happen. Um, I would do it in Southern dialect, okay? And there's some serious stuff missing when you write these things for Yankees. First of all, as I had to be nice, okay, as I had to explain to some people up in Boston recently when Bob and I were at a deposition, I'd say to them, now how did you all do this? And the lawyer kept interrupting me. I think I told you this. He, the lawyer kept interrupting me. He'd say, when you say that, are you referencing the witness or the company? And I finally looked at him and I said, please understand, we don't have that ambiguity where I come from. You means the witness. There's one you. Y'all means the company. There's a bunch of y'all. Okay? <laughs> if I say y'all, I don't mean you. And if I say you, I don't mean y'all. Because when you get into those hinterlands, you can mean singular or plural. I, it's good to see you. Okay? I don't say that. It's good to see y'all. I can look at Ray, it's good to see you, it's good to see Sandy, but it's good to see y'all, okay? We don't get that in the Bible. Paul, in almost all of his writings, when he says you in these letters, he means, it'd be translated y'all, it's, it's the Greek plural, second person plural, okay? So we need to retranslate some of this stuff. Grace to y'all is what he's saying. <laughs> And peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason we need to translate that is because in this letter, unlike the other ones, after this verse 3 where he says, Grace to y'all, every other you, I believe, I didn't look at all of them, but my cursory reading getting ready for class, which was more than cursory, most every other you is singular. Because the rest of this letter is talking to Philemon. It's not talking to y'all. So he can say to the church that meets in y'all's house, Grace to y'all and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Philemon, I want to talk to you. And that's where he says, I always thank my God as I remember you. And now we've just gotten singular, Philemon, in my prayers. I'm reading this, I'm thinking, man, this is great. He sent my slave back. I'm getting this letter, I'm getting to read it in front of the church, getting to say the y'all in front of the church, but now he's zooming in on me. He's thanking the Lord for me as he remembers me in his prayers. Paul remembers Philemon, me, by name, in his prayers while he's in chains in a Roman custody house arrest. This is a great life. <laughs> Because I hear about your faith. That's singular, you. This is Philemon's faith. Your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And your love for all the saints. I wonder if Philemon recognizes yet he's getting set up. <laughs> because you and I know who's included in all the saints. Onesimus. While he was a runaway, he came to know the Lord. And he's a saint. So Paul's writing this letter saying, I always remember you in my prayers. I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Paul doesn't stop there. Paul says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. Singular, your Philemon. 
Philemon, I pray that you, Philemon, may be active in sharing your Philemon's faith so that you, Philemon, will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Time out for a minute before I go to the next screen. Every good thing we have in Christ. Every good thing we have in Christ. I don't think it clicks in Philemon's head yet that Onesimus is one of those good things, bless you, we have in Christ. But he's going to get a full understanding of it just from this letter. Paul continues and he says, Your love, Philemon, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Do you see how Paul is doing this? This is like a work of art. And this is Michelangelo and this big old chunk of marble that one day becomes David. Okay? And this is a velvet hand or glove. Steel fist in a velvet glove. Because Paul is setting this up beautifully. Paul, your faith, your love for the saints, your faith, your love, you refreshed the saints. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, all you are and all you do for all the saints causes me to be so thankful for you in my prayers. Now, let's get down to business. Therefore, because of all of this, because of who you are and all you do for all the saints... Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Let's bring that up one more time. I mean, this guy, this guy is good. I mean, he could teach my mom how to guilt you. I could be bold and I could order you to do what you ought to do, but I'm just going to appeal to you on the basis of love. I, Paul, an old man in chains for Christ. <laughs> I appeal to you. Verse 10 is the first verse where we finally get the subject of the letter. After all this buildup. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son. While I was in chains... <laughs> Don't forget, I'm the prisoner, Paul says. He became my son while I was a prisoner, while I'm in chains, while I'm under bondage, while I'm, in essence, a captive. Not only that, but I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and me. And that might seem a bit awkward to throw in there, because we're not Greek scholars. But if we were Greek scholars, we'd be elbowing each other right now. Kelly'd be elbowing Bob, not just to keep him awake, but to say, hey, that was pretty funny. Okay? Why? Because, look at this, Onesimus, the name Onesimus, means useful. It means beneficial. It means helpful. It was a frequent name given to slaves, not because they were beneficial, but because you hoped they would grow to become that. Okay? So Paul's making a pun here. It's really quite funny. Paul says, I appeal to you for my son, useful, 
who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, Mr. Useful was useless to you. Let you know what kind of slave he was before he ran away. But now he's become useful. He's grown into his name, both to you and to me. See why that sentence, it doesn't quite make sense in English why Paul would put that sentence in there, but when you understand what Onesimus means, that sentence makes a lot of sense. Okay? Paul says, I'm sending him back, who is my very heart. Back to you. I'm sending him, who's my very heart. Don't you wonder if right now Onesimus is about to get scourged because uh, uh, <laughs> Philemon's got to teach him a lesson? You know, oh, thanks for the letter. I'm glad to see you're finally back. Glad Paul got a hold of you. Uh, Y'all take him outside to the shed and start beating the living crud out of him because we got to teach everybody not to run away. You know, there's a lesson to be taught here, not only to Onesimus, but what if the other slaves think, hey, we can run away and look how we can live and we can get off with it. And so Philemon's reading and says, I'm sending him back. And Paul says that Onesimus is Paul's very heart. Ooh, they got close. Sending him back to you. Paul doesn't leave it alone there. Paul says, I would have liked to keep him here in chains with me. I would like to have kept him with me so that he could take your place, Philemon. Singular there. Your place, Philemon, in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. Here I am in prison for the good Lord while you're living the good life. And he was very helpful to me. And I'd like to have kept him, but I've sent him back to you anyway, Philemon. Even though it would have been nice to have him in here doing really what you ought to be doing and helping me out. Paul continues, he says, But I did not want to do anything without your consent. So any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. I think this is really neat what it says about the heart of Paul. I think it's neat what it says about the heart of God. There are lots of things God would like you and I to do that he doesn't force us to do because he appeals to us. He makes it make sense to us. He lets us know what we ought to do, but he lets us choose to do it so that it's not something forced on us. I can think of a number of things. I had something come up yesterday. I didn't want to do it. I wasn't being told to do it. It's something I did not want to do. It's very uncomfortable, but it needed to be done. And the right response is, if it needs to be done, you do it. Not because you're being forced to, not because you're being told to, but because that's the right thing to do. It's a good thing I was working on this lesson. If I hadn't been, I probably wouldn't have done it. <laughs> so any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Then Paul says, maybe the reason... Onesimus was separated from you for a little while was so that you might have him back for good. Think about this, Paul says. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. See, here, I'm going to pull those pictures back up in a second. They'll make better sense. He's very dear to me. Onesimus is very dear to me, but he's even dearer to you both as a man and as a brother. Here's what Paul says. The before picture. Okay. The guy looks like a rascal. <laughs> the before shot. The guy is just, uh, you know, he runs away. He's not useful. But Paul says maybe we got the before picture knowing that afterwards you'd get the saint. 
you'd get that after picture where he's now wearing a tie and a coat, looking all the world like a graduating senior from high school. And uh, um, that's what Paul says. He says he's even dearer to you because now he's not, not coming back to you as a slave. He's coming back as a man. Paul doesn't use the word slave, even though technically and legally he's a slave. And he's coming back as a brother in the Lord. So Paul says, if you consider me a partner, well, don't you know Philemon does? I mean, Philemon's a good man. You can tell Paul wouldn't have written the letter this way if Philemon had not been a good man. Philemon's a good man. Philemon's a fellow worker. Philemon is a partner. Philemon's wife is active in the church. Philemon's son's a pastor over at another church. If you consider me a partner, which I'm sure Philemon does, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. Stop the scourging. Bring him back. I mean, you've just asked for a person to do a 180-degree turn from everything they had learned growing up, everything their culture had taught them, every institution they'd followed. Paul's just asked him to make a 180-degree turn from everything he knew in life. If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Now, if, if I'm Philemon, I may be thinking something here. Okay, but there's still quite a big debt the guy owes me. You know, he owes me a few years of labor because I've had to replace him with someone else. You don't just run away as a slave and live. You take food. You probably took some money or something of value you could barter for because you're going to have to live for a while till you get out of Dodge. So the guys ripped him off, not just in labor, but probably ripped him off in money. And here Paul says it. He says, don't only welcome him as you would welcome me, but if he's done you any wrong or if he owes you anything, i.e. bucks, Charge it to me, Paul. And you know how Paul would often in his letters write something in his own hand to show that it was really him? Usually it's at the end of the letter. Paul puts it in right here. Doesn't want there to be any mistake on it. If, Philem if Onesimus owes you anything, Philemon, just put it on my account, Paul's account. See, I'm writing this with my own hand. I'm serious. You just charge it to me and I'll pay it back. I, Paul. I recognize I'm a prisoner and I'm in chains and I have no way of doing any of that. But you charge it to me and I'll pay it back, Paul says. Uh, and oh, by the way, I'm not even going to mention the fact that you, Philemon, owe me your own self. <laughs> so you owe me your entire life, but if you've got some little debt over here from little Onesimus who's now come to know the Lord and is your brother, you want to, you just charge it to big old brother Paul, and brother Paul, whom you owe your very life to, he'll come pay you for it. As soon as I get out of my chains for the gospel. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you and the Lord. By the way, Paul's word for benefit, Paul uses the verb form of Onesimus. I wish, brother, I may have some Onesimus from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing 
Look at this. Knowing you will do even more than I ask. Oh, and one more thing. One more thing. Get a guest room ready for me. Because... I'm going to come see how you did. <laughs> I'm going to come check you out as soon as I get out of jail. <laughs> I play my get out of jail free card. I'm not going to pass go or collect $200. I'm coming straight to you because I want to be restored to you and answer to your prayers. I'm sure you've been praying for me to come. <laughs> Paul ends with some greetings from the people he's got with him. Now, F.F. Bruce asked three wonderful questions in one of his books entitled, Paul, an Apostle of the Heart Set Free. F.F. Bruce asked these questions. Number one, what was Paul really asking for? Number two, did Paul get it? And number three, why do we have this letter today? I want to answer some of these questions quickly, and we'll be out in five minutes, so just bear with me. But these questions, this letter, I just love this letter. It's truly a, a, a joyful letter to me. But these questions are fun questions for us. What was Paul asking for? Paul was asking for Philemon to set Onesimus free. Not to hold anything against him, to give him a brand new, clean, fresh start and to welcome him as a brother in the Lord. Paul doesn't ask that. Doesn't come right out and ask it. But Paul leaves it real clear that that's what should be done. There's neither slave nor free in the eyes of our Lord Jesus we all should be slaves for Christ. There's no difference between anybody based on where you're from, based on what you look like, based on how, what you act like, based on how smart you are, based on how much money you've got. There's no difference in the eyes of the Lord in any of us. And we shouldn't treat each other any differently. Okay? So that's what Paul was asking for, the freedom. Did he get it? Oh, I'm sure he did. There's not a doubt in my mind he did. Why was the letter preserved? I want to speculate for just a minute. Okay, can I speculate with you? Let me tell you a couple things. There is a fellow named Ignatius who came from Syrian Antioch. By the way, Bob, who asked me where, what Antioch means, where it comes from, because there are all these towns named Antioch. Comes from, I, and I said I didn't know, but I'd figure it out by Sunday, Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, there was an Antiochus who was a, 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 a prince and a ruler in that area, and he renamed a lot of towns after himself, and that's what Antioch is. And that's why he, every other turn, there's a sign to Antioch. Um, I don't remember how I just got off on that, but I know I don't have much time left, and I need to get back to where I was. I remember now where I was. Here's where I was. There was a man named Ignatius who was the bishop of Syrian Antioch. And in about the year 107, he was being sent to Rome to be thrown to the wild beasts. He was going to be martyred. He'd been arrested. That's his sentence. On the way, he goes through Ephesus, and Ignatius writes a letter to the church at Ephesus. This is about 107 A.D., now, you've got to figure when Onesimus ran away that Onesimus was a teenager. I mean, you don't live in slavery most of your life and then decide to run away. You run away when you're a kid or a young man. You're trying to get out there and get your freedom, and you've got enough testosterone in you to make it to the border. You know? 
Um, so you got this young man who runs away. He's a teenager, maybe early 20s at the, the oldest. 50 years later, so he'd be what, 68, 70 years old? 50 years later, there's a letter written to the church at Ephesus, which is the major church in that region. And it's addressed to the elder, or the bishop, the pastor of the church, whose name is Onesimus. Weird for a slave name to be the leader of the biggest church in the region, unless that slave had quite a history. But Onesimus is the man that is the bishop of the church at Ephesus that receives the letter from Ignatius, who's headed to be martyred. And in the first half dozen chapters, Onesimus is called out by name in the letter to the Ephesian church. This is the letter by Ignatius, not our Ephesian letter. Not only that, but the letter to Philemon is quoted. Now there's not a doubt in my mind that not only did Onesimus get his freedom, but I imagine Philemon handed him the letter too. And Onesimus got to keep this letter as his proclamation of liberty. And it's also very interesting because most scholars agree, liberal and conservative, that the, what they call the corpus or the body of Paul's writings that were put together for the church in the first hundred years, about 100 AD, maybe 110, was put together at the church in Ephesus, probably by the bishop Onesimus. And so it's not a hard stretch for me to understand that the same bishop who oversaw putting together Ephesians and Philippians and the uh, 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 Corinthian letters and Romans and these other writings of Paul may have seen fit to insert one more to show what kind of character Paul had and how God worked. And that's his own letter that got him his freedom. It's an incredible thing the way God moves. Now, I don't know for certain because we don't have the biblical answer to what I've just told you, but I will tell you it makes very reasonable sense to me and whether that's the answer or the Holy Spirit just saw fit to put it in for other reasons, we don't know. But that most likely is what history teaches us is the reason this letter is part of Paul's and was saved. Why was it saved? Because the man that was a boy slave that could have been killed instead was rescued by God in Rome, delivered to Paul through the work of the Holy Spirit, converted to the Lord, had enough courage to go back and not run away again. And Philemon had the faith and the love to treat him like a brother and part of the family. And this man grew into a great leader in the church who is one of the reasons we have our Bible, one of the tools God used, let me put it that way to give us the Bible we have today. That's pretty neat. So points for home. God's love is new every day. Doesn't matter if you're a runaway or not. God can find the worst runaway rogue that's absolutely useless and turn him into someone useful. Number two, we're to shine as love. Sometimes that means we write the letters. Sometimes it means we get the letters. It doesn't matter. We still shine his love. And we're to share his love with everybody, regardless of who they are. We share the love of God. And then sit back and watch because God moves in wondrous ways. Would you pray with me? Lord, I absolutely adore studying your word.
I absolutely am, am amazed at the incredible riches you've given us in your word. And Father, I confess right now to you that I want to be more like you and more like Paul and more like Philemon and more like Onesimus. It is my prayer, Lord, that, our, that your love will shine through our lives and the way we treat each other and the way we treat the world. And that people will look at us and say, there is something different about them. And we'll quickly let them know, Lord, that it is you and only you. Thank you for each person here today. Bless them as they go out in Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen.